0: Hello and welcome to Simply Why. I am your host, Connor Reed. Simply Why is a podcast brought to you by Indiana Wesleyan University, where we do a deep dive into the stories behind our outcomes. Our guests share the choices that changed their lives, the paths that led them to where they are, and of course, the why at the heart of it all. Our guest today is Dr. Steve Deneff. Dr. Deneff is the senior pastor of College Wesleyan Church in Marion, Indiana. He has more than 35 years of pastoral experience and has written multiple books, including More Than Forgiveness, Seven Saving Graces, and co-authored Soul Shift. Dr. Deneff, thank you so much for being on today. I'm glad to be with you, Connor. Thank you. All right. Well, let's just dive in with the heavy, hard-hitting questions then. All right. Question number one, donuts or bagels? (laughs) Donuts by a long shot. Any particular kind of donut or any and all?
1: As long as it's sweet and I have it in the morning, I am good. Every morning. (laughs) Don't tell my doctor
0: your secret safe with me and all of the listeners of the show. (laughs) All right. Question number two, jogging or hiking? Uh, Actually, I love to hike, but there's not a lot of places
1: in Grant County to do that. So when I can, I go with friends out to Colorado, sometimes uh, down in other parts of the country where they have where they actually have hills
0: (laughs) and hike when I can. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people on the show who said they love hiking. And I'm like, and you're in Marion. <laughs> just about every night. I'll
1: walk between five and seven miles. And so, so I don't have problem hiking. I just have nowhere to hike.
0: <laughs> exactly. All right. And question number three, who are some of your favorite Christian authors? Oh, my. A lot of my favorite
1: authors are no longer alive, unfortunately. I loved reading uh, Dallas Willard. I loved reading Tom Torrance. Loved reading... Um, Eugene Peterson, often the more discipleship-oriented, theologically-oriented. I read a fair amount of N.T. Wright, a little bit of Brennan Manning, uh, G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis. Every name I've given you except one is gone.
0: <laughs> Great content, though. So I just want to start off then. When did you first feel called to ministry?
1: You know, I was 17 years old. I was in a teen camp. In uh, Hastings, Michigan. Bob Zuhl was the preacher. We were in a little chapel, and I was sitting in the back, and he got up and started to describe what it was like to be called into ministry. My father's a preacher, and so I knew what the ministry was like. And as he was describing it, man, he was describing everything that was happening inside of me, and I panicked because i thought if i go into this i'm going to be a bad sequel my father's a good pastor for me to go into this is just this can only go down so i really resisted that finally i think i struggled with that about six months i pulled my dad aside and said man i'm really having an internal struggle here with this and he said i think you have to pursue at least some form of this told him what i was afraid of he said don't worry about me god will call you to do your own thing but you have to find some way to express this so i checked into what was then called marion college it was indiana wesleyan and i went into christian education and i was in it for about a year when it occurred to me this is not it at all so After my freshman year, I switched majors from Christian education to Christian ministry, and that's where my formal pursuit of ministry began. But it was a struggle. Martin Luther said that when God called him, you couldn't have drug him with a team of horses to do it. I felt that strongly. This might be a good place, Connor, to draw a distinction between my calling and what others feel when they are called. I was called out of a sense of inadequacy. I was called out of my weakness. I was not called out of my strengths or my adequacies. I never, a day in my life, looked at the ministry and thought, I can do that. My entire life, up to the present day, I have always felt this is something I cannot do. I was born an introvert. I had a stuttering problem. My entire childhood, such that I would not answer the teacher when they asked questions in class because I was afraid I'd stutter. And so to call me to get in front of an audience when I'm 19 years old or, or 18 by this, this time and ask me to preach is a calling of nightmarish proportion. I just wanted nothing to do with that. But the assurance that I had from God at the very beginning was. If I call you out of your weakness, then I will be your strength. It will always be because of me, never you, that you accomplish
0: anything. That has been true for me up to the present day. That's really incredible. And I feel like the Bible is such a great resource of encouragement for that because there are so many people who are called by God who refuse or say, I am inadequate, I can't do this and then yet through God are led to do great things. And so did you take any heart in that from some of those passages or stories in scripture?
1: Yeah, one of my favorite characters, of course, is Moses. I would imagine some of your listeners are thinking of his name right now. When he was called, he said to Yahweh, who am I that I should lead the people out of Egypt? And Yahweh's response to him was, who are you? No, who am I? I will be with you and I will lead you out. So it was God saying to Moses, I will do it, but you must go. Of course, his entire life, Moses was a reluctant leader. He started out saying, I can't even talk. And every time he tried to take his people somewhere new, they resisted him, they argued, they threatened his life. But you get to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says that there's never been a leader in Israel's history that was more illustrious, more successful, I would say more called than Moses himself. And so while I'm not in that category or even close, I take heart in his story that God can use people who don't think
0: they're qualified. So going into kind of a different aspect of this, this is kind of a dual question. So one for you personally, and then one for you ideologically. So personally of going and getting an education at IWU, how do you feel like that prepared you for ministry? Then on the ideological side, how do you feel like education is essential for people who are wanting to go into the pastorate and the information that they need? Because I feel like nowadays there's a lot of people who are like, I'm really popular. I have a voice. I have a passion for God. I'm just going to become a pastor without maybe any formal training or formal education or that sort of thing. So how do you feel like education is integral into being a pastor?
1: So for the first one, my personal experience with IWU was in my undergrad, uh, because I came into this reluctantly and I came into it feeling inadequate and I also came into it a very crass and prideful and rebellious 19-year-old. Uh, I found the biggest advantage for me personally was not the content. Don't get me wrong. I needed the content. Somebody needed to walk me through how the Bible was written. I was a preacher's kid. I should have known this. I knew none of it. I had my first class with Wilbur Williams, and you know he was like, Here's your test. And I thought, man, I know the Old Testament. I got this. I failed that sucker. And then when I got to the King's test, it just ate me alive. I found out I didn't know anything about it. Well, that was true for a lot of things. But that wasn't what shaped me in my undergrad. What shaped me were the people, not the content. I think at the age of 18, even today, there's only so much that your soul can absorb. I mean, you're still trying to figure this world out and your place in it. What you look for, and I think you find in good universities, is a small handful of people who think you're worth it, and they invest into you, expecting to get nothing in return. It's those people that you follow and that follow you for the rest of your lives. So that's the reason, in my opinion, you go to private Christian universities is you're looking for that sage, you're looking for that mentor, and you're more likely to find it in smaller organizations than you are in some lecture hall you know, of a major university. To the question of why higher ed is important, because I think knowledge is important. There's a strong anti-intellectual movement in the country in general, We are addicted to simple stories, and our love of simple stories keeps us from seeing the real one. So we tend to migrate toward short answers, 44 characters or less, bumper sticker type slogans, little tropes that we think can guide us. None of that's true. What we need is knowledge and information, and then we need wisdom in knowing how to process it. And that's where Christian universities come in. In my postgrad, I think my first class, the prof got up and said, Your undergrad is based on lecture, but your postgrad is based on dispute, which means I'm going to pick an argument and you've got to defend yourself. I was not ready for that. That didn't happen in my undergrad, that happens in postgrad. He preceded the rest of the class to pick arguments because he had a PhD and I had a bachelor's. It was heavily stacked in his favor, right? But he taught me how to think and he taught me how to defend my convictions or if I couldn't, how to change them, how to have the courage to change them and how to own them and how to practice them. So I think uh, all of that has to do with higher education. I'm afraid of the person who is afraid of knowledge.
0: So going into kind of your role as pastor of College Wesleyan, I know a lot of people think church is just going and listening to a sermon and that's it. When there's so much more in the sense of community that, you know, church is supposed to be a communal thing and getting to know the people around you. So how do you feel like you've fostered like a healthy church community that is more than just a worship service or a sermon, or that sort of thing, but that you can actually build a community within your church.
1: Yeah, I think College Church has a strong Christian community right now. I think we have a strong and growing presence in the Marian community. I don't think I've had that much to do with that. I think I was here when it happened, (laughs) but I don't think I made that happen. I think the power of preaching is that if it's done well— you can establish the menu of what the people are going to hear every Sunday. And eventually, what gets heard is what gets believed. And what gets believed gets practiced. My only influence, or most of it at College Church, is probably twofold. One is I spend a lot of attention on what we're going to hear. What is the menu? What are we being asked to believe by the Word of God? How do we know it's true? And what does that look like in broad implications? The second thing that I've tried to do is to create room or permission for ideas to flourish. When they do, then I find we have enough firepower within the congregation for those ideas to be implemented. That's what's happening here. They have great hearts and they have huge visions. And so College Church, I think, has started to shift to become less and less a chapel for IWU and more and more a bridge between IWU and the Marian community. This is the place where they can meet. Because otherwise, IWU is a city unto itself. And then there's Marion, which is unto itself. College Church is one of the few venues where those two communities
0: come together. There's power in that. Mm. So this is maybe a tricky question. In your time serving as senior pastor, what is the most valuable thing that you've learned? Or what's a valuable thing that you've
1: learned? Oh, yeah, right. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Here's a couple
1: things just off the top of my head. I won't even unpack them just for sake of brevity. One is that when you call a meeting, you're never the smartest guy in the room. Remember that. If you think you are, you're already done. Your job is to mine the brilliance that is already in that room. Good leader is not one who makes decisions. He one who it's one who empowers them so other people can make them. The second is connected to that. power multiplies when you give it away. Powers like love. To have it, you have to get rid of it. You have to give it away. In giving it away, you find you actually have more, which you turn right around and give it away. That's the way power works. It's centrifugal. It throws itself out when it works well. Another thing that I've learned, the most important time for a minister is his time alone with God far more important than anything else he or she does. And it's the first thing that goes when the organization gets complex. Those early hours, 5.30 on, those start to get interrupted by administrative issues. And it is fatal if we allow that to happen because we'll start preaching out of our deficiencies and everything goes helter-skelter if we do that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, those are all really good. I know you just kind of touched on this, but what would you say, if there's someone listening in right now who's wanting to be a pastor or just wanting to enter ministry, what are some pieces of advice or words of encouragement that you would give to them to get to that place?
1: Yeah, first I would say, if you could do anything else, do it. The ministry is not for those who think they can do it. It's probably more for those who think they can't but they have to because there's a call of God on their life. That more than anything else will create an incessant need for God in your daily life. If you fail, you were supposed to. <laughs> you felt that when you were called. Well, of course this went poorly. <laughs> I knew I couldn't do this from the from the start, but if you succeed, then only God gets the credit. So I would say stay in a position of weakness, but at the same time Have the courage to move forward. Pursue that call. Find the teachers, the mentors. Find the right books. Reach out to somebody who's 15, 20 years ahead of you and ask them for resources. Ask them if you could go visit them. And when you visit them, don't ask them to mentor you. Nobody needs another project. Ask them if they'd answer a few of your questions. Schedule an appointment, go in, ask three or four questions. If that conversation goes well, when you finish it, just say, hey, would you mind if I you know, reached out again sometime in the future? That's how you get mentored, not by asking somebody to mentor you. Again, stay in a position of weakness, but have the courage to pursue it. Two is find good mentors without asking them to mentor you. And then three is to get into the right streams the right
0: books, the right organizations that are stable guides for you. I think that's a wonderful way to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for being on. Is there a place where people can go to find your writings, your books, sermons, all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, anything that I do is either published through Wesleyan
0: Publishing House. Those are the books or all the sermons are online at collegewest.com. Perfect. We'll make sure to put a link to those in our show notes. Dr. Deneff, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thanks, Connor. Great to be with you.
0: Simply Why is brought to you by Indiana Wesleyan University. IWU is a nationally renowned, Christ-centered academic community dedicated to providing leading, innovative education opportunities for students of all ages, backgrounds, and life stages. To learn more about IWU's online on-site and hybrid programs, visit indwes.edu. And make sure to follow us on social media as well. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.